Hello, welcome to our fourth and final episode of Australia's Next Steps, brought to you by Oracle. I'm your host, Michael Shoebridge, the Director of Defence, Strategy and National Security here at ASPE. Today, we're looking at the future of the global supply chain and what that means for Australia, particularly from an opportunity point of view. It's a topic we touched on last week in the podcast on nation building, but it's such a complex and important issue uh, that we've dedicated this episode to looking at it specifically. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Louise McGrath, General Manager for International Competitiveness with the Australian Industry Group, and Peter Elves, who's Oracle's Director of Supply Chain Management Cloud Solutions in Japan and the Asia-Pacific region more broadly. In starting this podcast, the aim was to have discussions that didn't just look at the negative impacts of the pandemic, but really talked about the opportunities where Australia can rebuild and learn lessons from the current crisis. So this week's discussion highlights the resilience that our supply chains have shown, and it tries to draw some opportunities and directions out of how our uh, economy and our companies have responded during the pandemic. And it looks at some of our underlying strengths, like the fact that we're the start of numerous international supply chains. Hope We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, it's great to have Louise and, and Peter here for this uh, fourth in this series of podcasts. What we're doing uh, is looking at the opportunity for Australia uh, around supply chains and the kind of effects on thinking about supply chains out of the current environment that we're in. So um, by current environment, I mean that old thing that we saw before the pandemic, which was the US-China trade dispute as part of a deepening great power competition, and now the disruption of the global economy and the vulnerabilities that it has exposed in a whole lot of global supply chains, you know, notably medical protective equipment and supplies. So, Louise, I, I might just start with you to address the question of the story that Australians have told ourselves for years about making things. Uh, we've told ourselves, so we dig stuff up, we grow stuff, uh, we educate people, and we've got a beautiful country to visit, but we're just no good at making things. You know, It's too expensive, and we're better buying them cheaply from every, everywhere else. Have we surprised ourselves with what we can make when we need to, as we've demonstrated in the pandemic? I think we have. I think it's a very positive story, actually, in looking at how Australian advanced manufacturing has responded to the shortages and to the crisis and how quickly they responded. And they were able to respond because they have developed their lean, agile processes to be globally competitive. If we divide manufacturing up into three groups and we look at sort of low-skilled, low-tech, things like nuts and bolts, you know, nails, that's sort of very simple manufacturing. When we opened up the economy over 20 years ago, that, that has um, diminished significantly within Australia. Then we look at mid-tech, mid-skilled manufacturing, which is car assembly and the like. That too, as you know, famously a few years ago, has essentially shut down and, and certainly diminished. But the high-tech, high-skilled manufacturing, so the cochleas, the resmeds, the, um, a lot of our defence um, suppliers, their exports have actually doubled over the last 20 years. So mm-hmm. rather than shrinking, they've grown. And they've not just grown in Australia, they've grown globally. And I think mm. that shows just how strong they are. Now, that was already happening. Um, maybe it was a bit of an untold story. But I think you had uh, 
really interesting example. So we've got a mining sector. Now, the mining sector is known for large volume, um, you know, so at scale, competitive pricing, global quality, uh, quality natural resources, but it's enabled by a high-tech manufacturing mm. center, a, a sector as well. And I think you had that example of a company down in Ballarat and what they proved they could do. That's right. Um, Gecko Systems, which is a mining equipment technology systems company, a METS company, they manufacture equipment that goes in underground mining. They very quickly changed their productions and with, using uh, local collaborators in Ballarat, which is a manufacturing hub, to manufacture ventilators. So it's not mm. surprising that a, a medical company like ResMed, I mean, it, even though it's a fantastic outcome that they've turned so quickly to ventilators, you might expect them not, it's not too foreign, but to go from mining equipment to ventilators just shows it's not a big gap and it just shows just how ready our mining sector, all our high-tech manufacturers are to adapt. Mm. Um, Peter, if I can bring you in here, uh, when you looked at how Australian industry responded to the pandemic, uh, I know Oracle has uh, a lot of partnerships in the in the food and, and consumer sector. Did you see, again, a, another very good response to all the pressures uh, on that sector through the pandemic so far? Yes, we have. We also have uh, a lot of uh, high-tech customers as well, including ResMed and, and Cochlea. But in terms of the consumer goods, I think, you know, there's definitely been a very good uptake of both the technology in that space, but also in terms of the response to what's happening in our supply chains. And this has shifted the way that um, traditional supply chains operate in terms of us going to in, into the store, into the cold, the Woolworths, compared to now ordering online. And this has had a massive impact, not just on the manufacturing, but also on the supply chain in terms of these retailers delivering stuff to the house so the distribution channel change but also what is a change there is the sales volatility and this is both in terms of the spikes that we've seen but also mm, toilet paper being the most out. famous yeah. example yeah yeah so there's there's stockouts as well so and and i think overall we've we've done really well Mm. Retail so and especially grocery has done really well in, in Australia all over this period. Mm. And there's been a bit of a digital transformation that's happened too. So I, I think a big lesson out of the uh, the pandemic for Australia is uh, the corporate sector's response has been as impressive as the government sector's response. And this is a really interesting thing for me into the future. You know, Australia is not the only economy that tries to sell its clean green image. Uh, and that's a good thing, but it's a pretty crowded field. But there aren't too many jurisdictions internationally that can claim global best practice pandemic management. And I, I think this is a new value uh, when other countries and uh, international companies are looking around the world, where can they get reliable supply in the world that we're living in? Well, Australia has gone up those rankings, in my view, and that's got to be a positive for us uh, in, into the future. What, what's your thought about that, Louise? I agree. I think over time, we've, I think, self-criticised um, over our ability to be Team Australia. But I think this has shown that we really can be. And the mining sector is another good example. We obviously represent a lot of other sectors, not just mining. But if we look at companies who have followed Rio and BHP around the world, they have shared in that success. And I think if we foster more of that corporate Australia collaboration and, and cooperation, 
it won't just benefit us here domestically, but it will also help to lift our profile internationally. Mm. And looking at a big multinational technology company like Oracle, Peter, do you think that attribute around uh, that assurance in being able to supply, uh, even in very disrupted times, um, whether it's services or goods or raw materials, from from a sort of international investment portfolio point of view, does that make Australia a more attractive place? Yeah, I, I definitely think it does. Um, because I think Australia is always seen as, uh, if you want, leading in certain aspects and certain industries. And I think that now, especially through this pandemic, it's shown to be uh, very important and very true. So I, I think going forward, especially our, our partners, political partners and economic partners have realised this. And I think this will stand us very well going into the future. Now, this this idea of trust, um, you know, people talk a lot about resilience, but the, the, the way I think about um, supply chains is it's not a matter of do you onshore everything? Because if you onshore everything, make everything yourself, um, clearly you've got a lot of assurance in your supply chain. But we know uh, that that means the kind of quality of life, standard of living in your economy is going to be much lower. So... Um, that's why globalization 1.0 developed. So when we look at Australia as part of the world economy uh, into the future, what do you think about the notion of trusted partnerships, both uh, trusted corporate partnerships, but also trusted national partnerships? Do they have more value in the reset of globalization than in the last 20 years of globalization we've been through before? Uh, Because now the way the jurisdiction manages the economy that they they have in their control matters a lot and no one wants the specter of economic coercion hanging over them uh, when they when they want to run their economy what's your thought about the the role of trust in in the future of uh, australia's interaction with global supply chains i think from a trust point of view i think all supply chains these days are interconnected And we have seen this now through this pandemic. The interesting thing is, from a technology point of view, is we have seen more change in technology this last 30 years since the invention, if you want, of of the World Wide Web, this year 31 years old, than the rest of the history of the human. Going forward, that trend is not going to stop. Now, how do you take that and you bring and marry that with trust. Um, So this is where we've Mm. seen things such as interconnectivity are being enabled and people are looking at technology to help with that. So things such as blockchain, distributed ledgers, people sharing information becomes very, very important. But it also becomes a bit of a challenge because do you really want to share your information with potentially trading partners that you never do? Um, mm. So th- that's an interesting concept, but I think going forward, it is a very important concept, um, mm. especially if we start looking at climate change and the impact that that's going to have. Yes. And how about the return of states as central actors in, in economies? Louise, we were talking about the, the US-China trade dispute before this, but in a way, mm. the pandemic has accelerated that. and even more reinforced the effect that state relations and state actions have on economic uh, relations. How do you think that plays into trust? Well, I I think 
but there's there is trust of supply and trust of technology but i just think trust of behavior is mm. is fundamental from a, a corporate point of view if you give a company a job can you trust them to deliver and i think australians have shown that we can you know although supply chains around the world have been disrupted because of our distance many of our uh, members actually keep quite long inventories of components and packaging and so the the shutdown in china didn't have the impact that it perhaps did in other markets which has meant that many of our exporters have actually uh, had the edge over competitors who are geographically much closer to their customers mm-hmm. um, because that, they've had that supply and everyone is looking at the way governments and corporations are faring in this crisis how they're treating their citizens or their customers or their staff uh, how they are acting in a calm methodical way as best you can in a crisis and who you can trust uh, when mm. you are in a crisis mm. uh, my, my thought is that um, customer and consumer and government expectations uh, about companies understanding their supply chains and and mitigating the vulnerabilities those expectations have gone up and that's that's an effect we're seeing out of the pandemic that is here to stay so being able to be confident in your supply chain relationships uh, seems more important to me. Um, and Peter, you're talking about technology as a way of helping with that. But I think, Louise, your point about and the entities you're partnering with and the jurisdictions mm-hmm. and the behaviour in the jurisdictions, that becomes more important. But I wonder, what about over-concentration of risk? You know, the story of the last 20 years has been the rise of the Chinese economy and it just strikes me that there's so much global economic risk now tied up in that one part of the planet. And things that go wrong in that one part of the planet have a magnifying effect through the rest of the world. That seems to me to be something that now looks unacceptable just from a risk point of view. What's, what are your perspectives on that? 125 com- uh, countries have China as their largest trading partner. Hmm. So if China gets a cold in this case uh, a flu like coronavirus yeah (laughs) then it does affect the rest of the world whether they catch the cold or not Mm. you know there is a concentration of risk however i think it's not so easy to say we'll diversify because we've had companies try to find alternative suppliers to china to say look at india you know india just isn't up to scratch it doesn't have the procedures it doesn't have the processes it's just not ready to be globally competitive, to be a supplier, so mm. that diversification isn't an easy isn't an easy. But is, is this thing about well, I can't do it now? A little bit of a misleading mindset because uh, twenty years ago, China wasn't the economy it is now. Um, mm. It was concerted government and private sector action that built it, um, using subsidies and protection and taking the advantage of of the globalized trading system. So it's. It's a matter of knowing what you want to do and working at it over time rather than expecting to magically turn on new supply chains. Peter, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think, I mean, globalisation has been around for the last, you know, 30 years or so. And the US with Trump now has been, even before the pandemic, been scouting down on, on that. And I think there is that notion of risk there, you know, putting all your eggs in, in one basket. So there, mm. there is that notion. Um Personally, I think um, this is going to change going forward. And, and I think this pandemic is only going to accelerate that. 
And one of the benefits that we got from globalization was cost. Okay, so we are able to get things cheaper. But now if you look at shutting down countries, shutting down borders, actually cost goes up. So how do you counter that? And I think so people are really going to rethink the supply chain. Maybe we make it shorter. Maybe we make it rich reliant and, and, and more trust with, with my trading partner. I think this is something that we need to almost get used to. It is a trend. I think a lot of people are going to start looking at their network, redesigning that, and also looking at their logistics um, chain and understanding what are all of the different scenarios that can play out. Because the one thing that we do know is this is not the last shock to global economy that we mm. um, will have now. And, it's, and the next one is probably going to be five or ten years away. So let's start doing things now in order to plan for it. it. It strikes me as it's a little bit like network thinking. You know, you don't have one critical node in your network uh, that everything passes through and if it fails, you're all in trouble. Uh, and yet with that concentration into China, we've pretty much designed one big node into the system. And we know that the Chinese government strategy with Made in China 2025 was to double down on that, to to do two things, make the rest of the world more dependent on China for various items, including high technology, and reduce its own reliance on others. So I think that's something that is going to change. Uh, I wonder, thinking about Australia, though, and thinking uh, economically, you know, we're at the front end of a whole bunch of global supply chains, whether it's uh, food or natural resources or research in a lot of ways. And Louise, you were talking about mining being a, a high technology enterprise. Uh, that to me is an example of what we can do more of, uh, really take advantage of where we're the front end of these global supply chains and have a greater participation in them. Uh, and the pandemic, I think, shows that's very possible for us. Uh, so do you see that as, as needing to be at the front of mind of government and corporate policymaking mm. uh, post-pandemic? I do. I think what this has shown is that we can't just continue to put things in a box and send them overseas. I think we need to have a greater say in these global value chains and we need to help companies to invest offshore to own those global value chains so we're not simply price takers and we're not simply at either end of that sausage machine of, of putting in the ingredients at the front or taking the finished product at the end that we actually start to own the machine. And I suppose CSL is an example of that and that partnership between the big uh, Australian resource companies and uh, the advanced mining manufacturers is an example of that. Uh, are we doing that enough in the food sector? Peter, I know you had some stats there about how big the food and grocery sector is in the economy. But uh, is that an area where there could be a little bit of an industrial renaissance to take more control of the global supply chain, as Louise is talking about? Yeah, I, th I think definitely. I mean, if, if you look at globally, you know, we divide uh, manufacturing into process and, and discrete manufacturing, and discrete being things that you hold in your hand and process being more stuff, uh, especially what we buy and consume and eat. Now, the process manufacturers tradition has been more conservative. And from a technology point of view, we always were late developing things for them because of their uh, conservatism um, nature. But I think now there's a massive opportunity as the technology is now serving them as well as to take this opportunity and, and this change that we're seeing now and 
really applying that for the future. Now, uh, let me give you an example of, of this. So typically, if we look at, you know, the strawberry incident that we had in Australia, so this is, a, again, to do with uh, connecting all of these different supply chains. So how can we now introduce technology into these kind of situations? Because that's got a real impact on, on you and me at home buying strawberries and worrying about what are we consuming. So, so that the risk of not doing something is sometimes not well articulated, but when it happens, it is detrimental. And so I, I think the COVID-19 uh, pandemic is going to be a little bit of a wake-up call in that area mm -hmm. as well. And I think there's going to be a lot of change that's going to happen in, in that sector. And, and in a way, a lot of the advanced manufacturing is going to start being applied to that from a technology point of view. And we're going to start seeing things like less lean manufacturing and let's build a little bit more flexibility into, mm. you know, do we store a little bit extra? Do we move our uh, safety stock buffers a little bit closer to the point of consumption or where do we put it? Um, so I, I think there's going to be some some changes in, in, in this area coming. And a lot of it will probably be driven by technology as well. Mm, and I want to just, oh, sorry, Louise, go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to just say, just to, to, to support that, you know, we, we talked earlier about taking advantage of our reputation as a, a clean, green, you know, manufacturing or, or, or source of food. Um, but as you say, many countries have that. I think what we can build on is our emerging reputation as a trusted partner, as competent, as having the right internal systems and policies and then take that overseas. So we don't just have to manufacture food in Australia to be considered Australian. It's under Australian conditions, no matter where it is. And you can still be a trusted trusted partner and trusted product. Mm. And then thinking about uh, other global partners that we already have um, economic and um, government relations with, who have also been good practice pandemic managers. So Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, Germany, uh, there seems to me to be the potential to say, well, actually, for some of this assurance uh, in our economic relationships, there's more value to each of us in deepening the partnerships with those other good practice uh, jurisdictions. Um, now, I wonder, uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but uh, I'm the head of defence and strategy at ASPE, so I thought I'd just talk quickly about the defence sector as well. And to me, uh, the medical ventilator example uh, is such a close one for defence because that's a sophisticated electromechanical device that when a crisis comes along, everybody wanted them, nobody had enough, and countries looked after their own needs first. Well, guess what happens with precision weapons and munitions, you know, things like cruise missiles and uh, anti-ship and anti-aircraft missiles, the same thing. Do you think that with this new view about the vulnerabilities of supply chains and having extended supply chains, there's a case for Australia to say, let's co-produce some of these defence items. Uh, so we might not be the only world manufacturer of the joint standoff missile, but we might be one of the manufacturers and do that here so that in times of crisis, we and our partners uh, know that there is more than one source of supply. Should that be a plank in government policy and investment going forward? I think our response and the response of our manufacturers to this ventilator shortage shows that the old views of sovereign capability need to change so that the capability isn't being able to make that thing today. It's having the skills and the agility to make something tomorrow if needed. Mm. 
So I think we should be fostering those sorts of skills and companies and, and I think encouraging companies to be constantly innovating so that they can meet demand, as you say, when needed, and foster that partnering with like-minded countries. Mm. I, that's interesting. I mean, I think the ventilator one is is sort of an emergent need out of nowhere. But mm. you know, precision munitions—that's not an emergent need. You know no. that it's there. So, <laughs> you know, having a company that can do that rather than one that might be able to turn its mind to it—I I think there's a different case there myself. But Peter, I, you're well, gonna... I'm the defence person, so yes, yeah, that, that's fine. But <laughs> I agree, agility is good. But you know, mm. when there's core business, that's also good. Um, mm. Peter, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's a good thing. I think what we need to do is we need to try to minimize risk. And minimizing risk, one way of doing it is to rely less on, if you want, external entities. So keep it in-house. Um, I think that that is good. But also there's, there's also an argument to be made about skills and having the skills for if something else and which will inevitable happen in future. So let's start building that up now. And even though they may be building a soft grid, it may be, you know, building respirators um, because that is kind of like, is very much of a related skill um, in terms of manufacturing. So I think both from a from a risk point of view and a skill point of view, that's a good thing. And I, I, I see the defense industry that in that way, no different to if you want the risk of the supply chain, in particular the manufacturing in Australia, where we need to be uh, look at the risk, look at the resilience, and become a bit more flexible, not just mm. cost. Yes, yeah, I, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because we also have told ourselves for years that the Australian consumer will not pay a single cent more for uh, for something that they don't have to. But I think uh, that the pandemic has uh, has told our population, well, there are some things you you need to be. Uh, able to rely on a little more and it's not just cost now it's also uh, assurance uh, and trust in a narrow sense you want to know the toilet paper is going to be there but you you really want to know that your society and economy can do what it needs to do in a crisis so you know to me medical supplies and equipment uh, ICT because it's the backbone of everything we do and then the defense sector at least those three poles seem to be areas where cost is going to stay really, really important, but uh, assurance of supply and quality of supply in times of crisis uh, is going to be an attribute that government is going to look for and that companies are going to respond to. So subject to any last thoughts from people, I, I think you know one big message I take out of this conversation is some of the stories that we've told ourselves about what we can and can't do in the country and what we do and don't manufacture uh, have been shown to be wrong in the pandemic. And that's a really positive thing to take out. And then there's uh, this additional value that Australia has as a global best practice pandemic manager, on top of all the other reasons that Australia is a successful uh, economy, that is another very positive part in our future. Uh, so thank you both uh, for, the, for the discussion and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael. So that brings us to the close of episode four of Australia's Next Steps, the future of the global supply chain. And it's a wrap on the series for now. Thank you to both Louise and Peter for joining me today. They really were quite insightful in the opportunities that they brought forward. And also 
in really hearing some of those success stories that Australian industry was already demonstrating, whether it was in food production and distribution or in the highly automated uh, mining services and technology sector and the way that some of those great Australian companies were translating their mining experience into production of ventilators. I think there's some wonderful lessons there. If you'd like to join the conversation on this topic or any of our previous episodes, you can tweet us at aspie underscore org. And if you enjoyed this series, you can listen to more Aspie content on our regular podcast, Policy, Guns and Money, or visit our YouTube channel, Aspie Canberra, for our recent webinars. Thanks again for listening.